So I, I recently realized that uh, I probably haven't preached in a while for a specific reason. <laughs> so the last time I preached was Mother's Day, and uh, I made it my mission to preach about fathers on Mother's Day. Um, so I think I got benched for a while. <laughs> so, so here I am, Joel and Eli are both out of town, so I'm off the bench, I'm ready to play. Um, but it's funny because my mom was, she listens to all my sermons and she was kind of upset because I was talking about basketball and my, my uncle and my grandfather, I mentioned them, they're both very good players. My mom was a college level player who set the scoring record at her school and I didn't mention that at all on Mother's Day, so she was upset. So mom, you're a great basketball player too, I love you. And uh, thank you to all the mothers out there, we appreciate you very much. Um, <laughs> And I think in a, in a sort of ironic twist, God has given me the task to preach from one of the few books of the Bible that is named after a woman, and it's the book of Ruth. So if you could turn to Ruth, that would be great. Um, before I start, let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to preach and just uh, be up here. I pray that what I say can be your words and that everybody here can benefit greatly. Thank you that we're together that we can enjoy each other's company even on a gloomy day such as this and uh, just be blessed with shelter from the storm and everything else that's going on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I wanted to, what I want to do is start out, just give you guys some background because the book of Ruth, frankly, seems pretty random. Uh, it's very small and it's only four chapters. It's only a few pages long and it's just, it takes you like 10 minutes to read through it, maybe 15 um, it's, just very, it's just very random in the middle of the Bible because what you have is all these stories about kings and prophets and all this like intense stories. And then you have this small story about a woman who finds a husband. That's all it is. And so I want to kind of walk through where we've come from. You know, in the books of the Bible, that we, because we're going through the entire Old Testament, just really quickly and just give you an understanding of how the book of Ruth is situated historically. Okay, so obviously in the book of Genesis, we see the creation, right? God creates everything. And then in chapter 12, he chooses Abraham to be his chosen representative on the earth because things have been going wrong, right? There's sin and there's darkness. And so God is looking to solve this problem. Let me start my timer. God is looking to solve this problem, and so he chooses Abraham. And then from Abraham comes the whole nation of Israel, and Israel's enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. So we have this huge timeline, right, of hundreds and thousands of years going on. And then they're freed out of Israel by God. And that's the book of Exodus. And it's an amazing book, right? There's so much we can learn about God's character from it. And then in the book of Joshua, the Israelites are sent to the promised land and they actually, you know, take over the land. And then in the book of Judges, it describes how things go once they get there, right? So God has made all these promises. I'll make you a nation, right? The nation of Israel. I'll give you land. And he gives them the land. And then they proceed to be disobedient, and things just get darker and darker. And Joel preached last week from the book of Judges about how things progressed, right? Sin just got deeper and deeper. The people became more and more violent. And the reason is summarized in the book of Judges in chapter 21. Uh, sorry, I was in the wrong chapter. Chapter 21 in verse 25, it, the book of Judges ends this way. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. All right, so this is the situation that Israel is in. And the book of Ruth, it tells us in the very first chapter, actually takes place during this time. When Israel has no king, when they, everyone's just doing whatever they want, it's violent, it's dark, and it's super evil. 
And so I guess one of the great things about Ruth is that it's a happy little story in the middle of all this evil. Um, but I don't think that's why it's in the Bible. Matter of fact, the book of Ruth, I think, has a very specific purpose, but I don't want to tell you what it is yet. I want you guys to see it unfold as we sort of look at the characters and what happens in the story. And at the very end, the author makes it very clear why it's in the Bible. Um, but before I get into the book of Ruth, I want to tell you guys a story that I think connects pretty strongly to all of this. Um, you know, Eli mentioned it, that we went to the Badlands a few weeks ago. I forget when, it must have been almost a month ago now. And uh, Caleb Moose was there, and we had uh, Eli there, and Lee Harvner, and uh, Cole Schneider. Uh, that's everybody, right? Yeah, that's everybody. So we had this group of guys, right? And we thought we were really cool, right? We had these packs, and we had all this gear. I brought a hatchet. There's no trees in the Badlands. There's no reason <laughs> to have a hatchet, but I thought it was sweet. And so here we are, right? We're all packed up. We're ready to go. And uh, frankly, we did a, a pretty poor job of planning. Um, we didn't know what the weather was going to be like. We thought we did, but apparently we were wrong. Uh, we didn't know that there was, well, I didn't know at least, that there was so little tree cover. Obviously, I brought a hatchet like a fool. And we were just, you know, hiking. And so we started hiking, and the plan was to go in for a few days and then come back out. And the first day, it was wonderful. Uh, we hiked to this place called Deer Haven, and there was actually trees. It was incredible. And it was up on this little mountainside, and we're all out of shape, so we're huffing and puffing, trying to climb up this little hill slash mountain. And uh, it was a beautiful night, and we saw this comet go past that was like the largest trail. It was like half the sky, just beautiful. And so we're like, oh, this is going great. Like, we're, we're golden. Like, this is the easiest trip I've ever done in my life. And then the next day, we set out, and we're hiking, and, you know, we're following this riverbed, and it's going great again. And then the afternoon hits, and we're exhausted, and we're like, man, we just got to lay down. But we have this huge tent. Like, I mean, it, it was so big. And it just caught every ounce of wind there could possibly, you could possibly imagine. And so we set it up on this huge plane, right? And the, the wind is just blowing across it. It just picks up our tent and throws it like 30 yards. <laughs> and we were chasing it down like, well, this isn't good. And what's sad is just two minutes before, we're joking about how comfortable and easy this was. Like, oh, we're just chilling. And then our tent just gets ripped up. I mean, it was terrible. And then we hear a storm coming, just thunder, just lightning, just, just so loud and intense. And we're like, oh, man, we're in trouble. And so we start packing up. We're like, we got to find some shelter. we got to head towards those, those bluffs over there. Maybe there's some shelter from this wind, right? And so we start going, and it starts raining, and we're just drenched. I mean, I had rain gear on, but it didn't matter. It just, we were completely drenched. We hiked for probably an hour in this rain trying to get to the bluffs, and we couldn't make it. It was too far. And then when we got there, there was a big ravine. And I was like, okay, that's dangerous because that's filling up with water. It's going to flash flood. And so there's lightning. It's so, so bright. We're actually blinded by it. It's like, at the close, it was like three seconds away. So it was really close, uh, three miles or so. And it was all around us, just exploding the earth. I was terrified. And, um, and I remember yet having the time of my life. I was like so happy and yet terrified at the same time. It was, it was crazy. But we're going through this storm. Right? And, we, and we're trying to figure out what we're going to do. And we need help. And so we finally we went down into the ravine because we wanted to cross it. And we couldn't, it, it was just too big. So we're like, all right, forget it. So we went back up onto this grassy plateau and we, and we set up our tent. But before we did that, we all hit our knees and we started praying. We were like, and, and it was funny because Lee was obsessed with setting up the tent. He's like, no, you got to set up the tent. Like, 
Caleb was like, no, we're going to pray, Lee. And Lee was like, oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so we start praying. And it was the simplest, most faithful prayers I've ever heard. Lord, protect us. We're in trouble. Like, we just need your help. And that's what it's like in our lives, right? We hit this point where, where maybe, you know, I remember in, in my younger years especially, but even now you hit these storms in life and things are just not going well and there's darkness. And you can be tempted to become a part of that darkness, right? And to not really stand against it. And you can start to just sin and go down this path of darkness. And that's what happened to Israel, right? They got surrounded by all this idolatry and sin and they didn't deal with it instead and they didn't go to God. They just became a part of it. But we decided to set up the tent and we laid under there like a tarp. I laid in a puddle of water like this for like four hours, like just like, oh, so awful. <laughs> and every time we thought the storm was going to stop, at least I did, I, I thought I was some type of prophet, <laughs> it never stopped. It just got worse. <laughs> and the tent was filling up with water. I mean, it was crazy. And realistically, our lives were in danger. We got a hold of the, uh, the, the park ranger. This is our new motto as a group. And we were asking him what we we're going to do. And Lee's on the phone just being way too polite. I was like, Lee, stop it. Like, he's like, hey, yeah, we're doing pretty good. But, uh, we, we, yeah, we're kind of cold. And <laughs> I was like, Lee, you're about to die. Like, please tell the truth. What are you doing? But he's so Minnesota nice, he couldn't do it. And so he just kept, oh, we're doing pretty. And the, and the ranger goes, well, you got two options. You can stay you can leave. <laughs> and we were like, all right, <laughs> I guess that's what we'll do. <laughs> and so that's our motto. We call ourselves the Badland Boys, and we are going to stay or leave. <laughs> that's, that's what we do. <laughs> but the point is, right, we survived. God brought us through, even though there was wolves circling our tent and all sorts of craziness going on. And uh, it really changed my life. It changed my perspective on everything. And even though I learned a lot about how to plan a trip and be a leader and like stuff like that. It's like I learned so much more about God and the fear of God and the love of God. But in the opening chapter of Ruth, you find um, Naomi and Ruth. So there's really three main characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Okay, and In the opening chapter of, of the book of Ruth, you find them in a similar situation where they can either stay or leave. Right? They're in Israel, and they have a choice. Right, And so it says in... Chapter 1, verse 1. Sorry, I don't have this one on a slide for you guys. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, okay, there's your chronological hint, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Okay, the man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Josh, can you put up the map that I had on there? So Moab is this nation. You can see it right here. It's kind of this nasty-looking desert, which is what it is. Um, and they moved there. Well, the problem is there's a famine in Judah, so they have two options. They can stay or they can leave, and they decided to leave. And they went to Moab, which in Judges, it tells us, Josh, can you go to Judges chapter 3? It tells us that Moab was, in fact, the enemy of the Israelites. And in verse 12, it says, Once again, chapter 3, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel. 
and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. So here's Moab, it's this foreign nation, and they are not friends of Israel. And they don't like Israelites. And I have a feeling it's mutual. See, the Israelites were essentially enslaved by these people for 18 years. And so imagine what situation you would have to be in to say to yourself, I think I'm going to move to Iraq. Right? Like, which actually is very close by. That, that would just be a very strange thought process. You would have to be in such dire circumstances. You said, okay, I can't stay here. I have to leave. And that's the situation they found themselves in. And, and, and it was really just a calculation of, okay, where, where's food? We need food. And I think in our country, it can be hard to imagine that type of thought process going on, but that's the situation that they're in. And so it's not a good situation, right? And things don't go well. Um, it says in verse 3, Now Elimelech of Ruth chapter 1, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with their two sons. And they married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. So now Ruth comes into the story. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Okay, so they've moved to a foreign land. Her sons have married foreign women, and now they're both dead. So you have three widows and nobody to take care of them. And back in the day, this was, it's a serious situation in our world. It was even more serious back then. Women typically had no way to make money. Except maybe, you know, you sell clothes or something like that. But it's hard to do. And you can't really just take care of yourself. And without, two, and without like a strong source of income, I mean, in a world that already has a shortage of food, you know, you're in serious trouble. And so they're in serious trouble yet again. Right? They're surrounded by a storm. And in verse 8, it says, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why should you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? So she says, even if there was still hope for me. Naomi's in a place where there's no hope for her. Right? She's feeling like, what, what am I supposed to do? I can't control any of this. The storm is too big. And so she wants them to sort of leave. She'll stay, they can leave. She'll die, and they can go try to find a life with a new husband. Um, and so here's where we get a shot of the first, the first real shot of the character of Ruth. Uh, so, Josh, can you go to that passage that's about Ruth uh, in chapter 1 there? Yeah, so, but Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from me. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So Ruth has this character of loyalty. And this is a huge part of why this story goes the way it does. She decides to go with Naomi back to Israel. 
And that's what they do. And now, Naomi goes back to Israel in verse 19. It says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So you can imagine how Naomi's feeling. She's feeling so defeated that she changes her own name to bitter. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm a person, I have a tendency to get bitter about stuff. And I can't imagine being that bitter. You know, I like my name. It's a good name. I'm going to keep it. But she was like, no, don't call me that. Call me bitter. Because that's how I am. And so, you know, you have these two characters. You have Naomi, she's very bitter. And Ruth, she's very loyal. And it's really the only hope that Naomi has is Ruth's relationship to her at this point. And so it's, a, it's an incredibly terrible situation. And even just in Israel, it's a terrible situation. The people are murderous and violent. And there's really not much hope for the poor. Um, but that's when we're introduced to another character. His name is Boaz. Okay, and so it says... Uh, Josh, can you go to the next one? It says, so Boaz said to Ruth. So Ruth meets this guy named Boaz, and Boaz is really not that important either. He's just a sort of semi-middle-class farmer. That's all he is. He's just a guy who owns a field, right? And so, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. So what has happened is that Ruth has been following around the workers and picking up the, the grain so she can eat, her and Naomi can eat. He says, don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So, so here's this widow. She really has nothing to offer Boaz. And Boaz says, here, have some of my grain, have my water. And I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Now the reason that was necessary is because the men were liable to do so. Like I said, Israel was a dark place. And so Boaz had to give them orders, like, don't harm this woman, right? And so here's Boaz. He's showing incredible kindness to her according to the law of the Lord. It was God's command that the poor be allowed to do this. And so this reveals God's heart already that even though Israel is such a dark place, when, the, when you follow his law, there is great benefit for the poor. And um, people... You know, people often kind of rag on the Old Testament. Oh, it's so dark, it's so violent. Well, that's honestly the point, is that when you don't follow God's law, that's the result. And so, so here's an example, right, of Boaz doing the opposite, and the result for Ruth and Naomi is incredible blessing. And so what ends up happening, right, is that they, um, Naomi's like, oh, Boaz, he's a good guy, and uh, I'm related to him. Ruth, we should try to get you married to him, because that would be a great blessing. And so they kind of come up with this plan, and uh, Ruth goes and, and lays in his barn at his feet, which is kind of a weird thing to do. And, uh, and Boaz is just knocked out cold. And he wakes up, and he sees her, and he's like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> like, why is there a woman just lying here? And so he ends up marrying her. Uh, and so it's, it's a beautiful story. Matter of fact, I'll just throw this out there because it's who I am. Uh, there's a guy named Geth. He was a German poet. He said it's the most beautiful story. Ruth is the most beautiful story. 
And Geth was a huge fan of Napoleon. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. But, <laughs> but the point is, right, that this is a beautiful story, and there's just good things happening. And uh, Boaz is demonstrating this incredible character. But it doesn't really tell us why all this matters, right? Like, okay, that's great. Like, a uh, woman got married. Doesn't that happen, like, all the time? <laughs> and uh, isn't there all these great love stories out there? Why is this one included in the Bible? And what does this tell us about God himself? You know, besides learning from the characters in the story who have many good qualities we can learn from, there's actually a lot to learn about God. God actually barely shows up in this book at all. He essentially doesn't do anything, which is interesting because the Bible is supposed to be about God. So how is this about God? Well, at the very end, um, she has a child, and this is where God finally steps in. Okay, in, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 4, it's, it gives us the climax of the story. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. That's really the only thing the Lord does in the entire story. And why does he do that? The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Okay, so this is beautiful ending, right? And there's a, there's a baby now, and that's such a good thing, right? Everybody's like, oh, they're married, and now they have a baby. And the Lord caused the baby to be born. But why did he do that? Well, I believe this story, it's really revealed why this is in there in the very last verses. In verse 18, it says, uh, I'm sorry, verse 16, Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And David, as we'll find in 1 Samuel, becomes the greatest king of Israel. And even more so, the, it, it ends with a genealogy, and that exact genealogy shows up in Matthew chapter 1. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And so God has been working through this random woman to bring about his Messiah. And so what do we learn about God? Number one, God elevates the small and makes them great. Ruth was a nobody. Matter of fact, she was a Moabite. She wasn't even one of God's people. She was a widow. She wasn't wealthy. She had no power. And yet God made her story into something that changed the world. All right, have you ever felt insignificant? I know I have. Have you ever felt like, well, my life is just so bland? I mean, you wonder why the royal family in England gets so much airtime in America. It's because people feel this way. I wish I could be them. Well, the reality is that your story matters. It matters to God, and God is using it to do things you could never imagine. So God elevates the small. You know, in the, in the midst of the storm, each one of us have felt this way. But I remember God gave me joy, even in the Badlands. I had a blast, because I realized God was with me, even though I was in danger. And God is working even when you don't know it. Right? Ruth had no idea that God was doing these things to bring about the Messiah. She just knew God brought her a husband. She just knew God caused her to conceive. She didn't have this grand conception of God's grand plan, and yet God was working through it all. And God was working to fulfill the needs of us and the needs of the Israelites before the Israelites even knew that's what they needed. It's not until 1 Samuel chapter 7 that the Israelites go, oh, we need a king, and this is a couple generations later. 
we need a king. This is not going well. And so God provided well before they even knew that's what they needed. And what's even more amazing, and you'll see this later on in 1 Samuel, is that their desire for an earthly king was in fact wrong, and yet God provided anyways. And so that is an incredible graciousness on the part of God. You know, in the same way that Ruth and Naomi were in the midst of a storm, God is working even when you don't see it. Every time I thought that storm was going to stop, it didn't. But God was working to protect us. And he brought us out the other side safe and sound. I had a couple blisters. My feet hurt. That's all, right? And God does all this for his glory. Right? God does this so that he would look great. I mean, how incredible does God appear when he took someone like Ruth and turned her line into Jesus? He looks wonderful. And that's why he does it. Because he wants us to be drawn to him. He wants to draw all people to him. You know, that includes Moabite widows, and that includes, you know, middle-class Americans and lower-class Americans and upper-class Americans and South Africans and Malawians and everyone. He wants to draw them to him, and so he must look great. And this is one of the ways he does it. He does it. He takes the small, and he lifts them up to a new place, a place that no one could ever expect. And so I want to I transition into talking about communion just a little bit, you know, because we know that from Ruth came Jesus. And she's actually mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, which very few women were. It was Ruth, and I believe it was Rahab, and that was it. And so there's two women. But um, in Matthew chapter 26, I want to read this because I believe that Jesus, having come from Ruth, learned the lesson that Ruth may have understood or maybe didn't, but that the book of Ruth was intended to teach. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse... In verse 52, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the, the chief priests and the rulers, they're coming to take him captive so they can crucify him. And Jesus is defended by Peter. Peter pulls out a sword to try to stop them. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, put your sword back in its place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Jesus had this immensely high view of God's ability to bring out good through terrible situations. Matter of fact, he believed that it must be that way. And for that reason, he went to the cross and we're able to be here today and celebrate his death for us. So as we take communion, I want you guys to consider what the storms are in your life and how Jesus can help carry you through them with the same faith that he had in his Father. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story of Ruth and for the blessing that it brings to us. It's this small and insignificant story that truly has great significance that we would have never seen apart from your word. Thank you that you have blessed us with Jesus and his sacrifice on our behalf. I pray that we would just feel so blessed today as we fellowship and as we take communion. In Jesus' name, amen.